Let us now pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And we're just going to read verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The beginning of this section of the Upper Room Discourse actually starts a little bit differently, and I think it's incredibly important to know that John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, says, let not your hearts be troubled. This is a a famous and to some even infamous passage. And these are words over which many arguments have taken place. Oddly enough, they were never intended to cause trouble or discomfort. These were not words spoken to an audience of skeptics. These were not words spoken to an audience of intellectual elites or academics. These were not words spoken to a group of biblical conservatives These words, these famous words, were spoken to troubled followers, to anxious friends, to those who were troubled and in need of comfort. That's why he begins, let not your hearts be troubled. I wonder, are you troubled or anxious today? The reason Jesus is about to say whatever he is about to say is not to trouble the listener, but to untrouble the listener. Whatever he is about to say is intended to inspire peace and comfort in him. Whatever he is about to say is supposed to quiet fear in him. And his objective is that amidst confusing and disorienting news, that they might be comforted in him. And the reality that he represents and the truth that he is about to present. You see, they they want a map and a compass and he's offering them a person. He's always in the business of offering himself. This is Good Friday after all where he offers himself to the fullest. So why were the disciples so troubled? I can think of a few reasons based on the scriptural context, but also the full upper room discourse. After three years of leaving families and professions and homes behind to follow Jesus, the disciples hear Jesus explain just a few verses earlier that he is leaving them and he's leaving them to go somewhere that they cannot follow. They're going to be leaderless. 
He tells them that the strongest of them is going to fail soon. That person being Peter. And they're likely thinking, if Peter, then what about the rest of us? So they're not only losing their divine leader, Jesus, to go somewhere that they can't follow, but what about their human leader? One who's always brave and bold and first to move and speak in Peter. But then perhaps the most uncertain thing of all, Jesus before this, and then if you keep reading in John 14 and through the rest of the discourse, keeps talking about a task that he is assigning for them to do and that it needs to be completed and depends on them without him. That they are going to finish the work that he has begun. And this is a frightening idea. This is a tremendously anxiety-inducing prospect. That Jesus Christ, the one who was supposed to establish the kingdom and finish the work, is going to leave it as a work in progress. And so it's no wonder that Jesus begins this famous verse with, let not your hearts be troubled. But what I want us to see today on Good Friday is what he says to their troubled hearts that might also speak to our troubled hearts today. Simply, first, he talks about the truth about himself, and then secondly, the truth about their future life in him. First, the truth about himself. If you have a Bible, turn it to John 14, and we're going to start actually in verse 1. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus speaks to troubled hearts by commanding and urging them to faith. Now, faith usually is called into question, not in times of peace, not in times of serenity, but in times of difficulty and pain. But let me give you an example. When my children hear the words from me, trust me. It's not because there's utopia. It's not because there's peace and certainty. It's actually always quite the opposite. Very recently, I had to do minor surgery on a pinky finger in order to remove a splinter. Now, the the only problem with splinters is in order to get them out, you have to also use a needle. And there's nothing that frightens children more than a needle. And so as my daughter, who's crying from the pain of a splinter in her pinky finger, sees me grab tweezers and something sharp in order to remove the splinter, I uttered these famous words, trust me. I'm speaking words of faith. I'm urging her to faith in the midst of a really uncertain circumstance that actually looks like it's going to be very difficult and painful, even though I know it's one that's going to set her free. And what's funny is we don't really grow out of this. This doesn't change as we grow older. Faith is called to life as we go to that doctor's appointment and we don't know what the diagnosis is going to be. Trust me. Faith is called to life as we stand before an altar with someone making forever and future promises of love that we are actually terrified that we can't keep. And yet we look at each other and say, trust me. Amidst the uncertainty, trust me. 
Because with faith, there is always a promise attached. And with faith, there is always an object in view. And so what it demands of us is that we call into question what the object of our faith is. That's what difficulties do. And so Jesus here is speaking to troubled hearts by commanding and urging them to faith in him. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because I am him in the flesh. If faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, namely God the Father, then look at me. I'm worthy of your faith. I'm him in the flesh. The object of faith is as important as the faith itself. And Jesus is urging them to faith in him. And he is urging them not to do as our hearts often do, where we secure ourselves to very insecure things. Our present day and age has uprooted many of those. Jobs, money, health, or maybe we would choose some other deity. But here's the problem with the object of the faith being any of those things. Not one of those other deities he's put on flesh and has come to untrouble its people. Not one of those other deities has paid the penalty for crimes and rebellion committed against himself so that the people might go free. Not one of those deities has made a way of salvation that depends on its own death and on its own obedience rather than demanding it of the people None of those other deities has made a way of salvation that depends on faith alone. But here stands one who has in the flesh and one who will. The disciples were not far from knowing this. And he's asking for their trust because he is fully trustworthy and he will soon prove himself to be so. And this might sound a little exclusive. This this part of the upper room discourse certainly carries that tone, but of course it does. For he is the only claim to deity providing such a way as this. It's not just that there is one way, but there is only one willing to make it that way. And so it's not just a singularity of a path, but it's, it's this magnificent uniqueness of a single person. It's God in the flesh. And faith in him, faith in him is the pathway to being untroubled. Are your hearts troubled today? Untrouble your hearts in him. Secondly, what we see in this small passage is that Jesus untroubles them, not just by commanding and urging them to faith in him, but he then speaks to troubled hearts about their future life in him. He first speaks to the end, and then he speaks of the means. I'm going to begin in John 14, 1 again. Let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, this is interesting. The the future is one of the primary sources of anxiety. It's one of the primary places we go to borrow trouble. And it's because we can't control what will happen. We can't control what will happen in the next hour, much less a month from now, much less 10 years from now. And so you would think that if you wanted to untrouble someone, that you're not going to reference the future. You're going to try to live in the present right now, today. And yet to untrouble the disciples, Jesus is unashamedly drawing their attention forward to the future. Why? There's only one reason. Because in him, the future is secure. In him, the future is secure. And so that which is uncontrollable otherwise and might cause a flood of anxiety in him becomes a security to grasp onto and to bring the future into the present circumstances of our lives and to find ourselves untroubled, to find peace amidst crazy circumstances, to find firm footing on shaky ground. It's a future that is under control and it untroubles us. So briefly, let me just speak to what this future is for those who are his. It's dwelling with God the Father. It's glorious perfection in terms of quality, and it's eternal in terms of quantity. And you know what's funny? These are actually really good descriptors of God himself. And no wonder this is the case, because it's his house. It's his kingdom. It reflects all of his goodness. And so this future that Jesus is speaking of with mansions and rooms that have personal names written on them is a secure future that is full of glorious perfection without end. We are made eternal beings. And we are made eternal beings in terms of quantity because we are made in the Father's image. But due to the fall and the curse that came with it, the quality has been marred and destroyed. If left to our own way, our end is not in the Father's kingdom. If left to our own way, the forever end that we know is actually the fullness of imperfection. It's anxiety, sadness, despair, without end. But there is another way. There's a means to the glorious end of ending up in the Father's house, in the Father's kingdom. And there's a trailblazer, as this passage says, who will come back to take us there. And Christian, this is a future hope. It's the return of Jesus Christ. That if you can grasp it in your heart by faith, places of fear will become courageous. And it's because you know the end. It's glorious perfection without end. It's love, joy, peace, kindness, completely unrestrained. And he who goes to prepare a place for us says that he returns to take us there. So the future is secure for those whose faith is in him. 
He and he alone is the way to life. He and he alone is the means to this glorious perfection without end. And that's how he ends this part of his discourse to untrouble his anxious friends, his followers, the disciples. He says this, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, who may have been the only skeptic in the group, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Except through him. This is untroubling news, except through him. That's what Jesus intended it to be. But to many today, it's the opposite, isn't it? Except through him is seen as confusing, it's unloving, it's even upside down. It leaves some to say or feel, there must be another way than this. And friends, Isn't that the cry of Good Friday altogether? There must be some other way than this. Not a cross for the one innocent man who's ever lived. Not an unlawful execution for someone who's done nothing wrong. There must be some other way than this. And listen, if that's been the cry of your heart, when you hear accept through him, it's the cry of Good Friday. It was the cry of Jesus himself in the garden when he said there must be some other way than this. Yet not my will, Father, but yours be done. There must be another way. And so my encouragement to us and to you is maybe, maybe it's time for you to surrender to the way too. Do you want your heart to be untroubled? There is no other way. I urge you to faith in him. And I encourage you, you will be securing yourself to glorious perfection without end. And I pray it for you in the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I pray it for us all. Amen.